and welcome to the Love Your Library podcast. I'm your host, Hattie Dulac, and in this episode, I'm joined by travel writer and novelist Annabelle Thorpe, where we talk about her latest book, The Enemy of Love. Set in Italy during the Second World War, the book takes a look at how occupation affected close-knit communities and how love can flourish even in the most unexpected places. So I spoke with Annabelle all about her background in travel writing, what it takes to write about strong female characters in historical novels, and, of course, why she loves libraries. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome to Love Your Library. It's so lovely to have you here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So, we're delighted to have you here. Would you please tell us a little bit about the book? Yes, so my book is called The Enemy of Love. And it's set in Umbria in Italy in 1943 at the time of the armistice when Italy, who had been fighting alongside the Nazis, the war was going so badly for them, so disastrously, that Mussolini, who was their leader at the time, got ousted and the powers that came in afterwards decided to sign an armistice and join the Allies. So they effectively swapped sides in the middle of the war. And it's about two families who live in Amatino in in Umbria and what happens to them during this incredibly difficult period and their lives and, you know, the developments that come after the armistice, the biggest one of which is that the Germans come in and sort of take over their town. And the characters in this book are so connected. It seems like such a lovely community. Did you know much about this period of history and the people living in those situations before you started the book? Was it always something you wanted to write about? Not really. I mean, I think I like to write about sort of, I like my characters in, in, in set them against a dramatic backdrop. And then I'm really interested to see how characters behave when they're put in sort of, you know, in extremis in situations mm-hmm. that are, are, are tremendously difficult. And I think in wartime, you know, I, I think what we've all been through in the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's not the same as a war, but that sense of just something altered about our lives every day, all the time, you know, is something that just impacts hugely on, on how people are. So that's, you know, that's something that appeals to me about writing. But in terms of the history, I was, you know, as I think with a lot of people, I didn't know a huge amount about Italy's you know, role in the war. We all get taught about Germany and and rightly so. So I did a lot of research and a lot of reading and just found it absolutely fascinating. We all love Italy so much. So, you know, it's such a popular destination for British people. And yet I think really we we, we don't really have a great understanding of of their past. Yeah, I, I think you're completely right. For me, this was a really great access point actually for a not not just a period of history that I don't know much about because the period we're all quite educated about usually um, but but this specific kind of location and the way it affected this area is is not a story that's often told I think so it was really really nice to see it done like that I think I think that's the thing if you are if you are writing about war or something like that take it down to a personal level mm. just a family or two families and look at all the myriad ways that, that that affects them from, you know, the sons going off to war to people coming back injured, different relationships, all of that kind of thing. 
I think that's how to, to really understand the impact is to focus very tightly on, on a kind of group of people. And then you really become emotionally involved with them and, you know, and you care about them, which, you know, I think is, is an imperative part of a, of a book like this. And it's called The Enemy of Love. And I kind of went into it expecting this kind of like great love story. And it, it does have the, the love element, but I think it also, it seemed to have so much more. It was a lot of telling of that human story and the almost like the love of a community alongside the character relationship that we see um, blossom during the book as well. Was that something that was important to you to write about? Uh, was it conscious or unconscious? No, I think I, I always wanted to have Sophie and Giorgio at the heart and, and their sort of love story. But I, I'm fascinated by all the other different type of relationships and all the other different types of love that we can have in our lives, whether that's for your family members or your friends or people that are kind of like your grandma, but actually aren't, you know, all those kinds of relationships are so important in our lives. And in some ways, I think they're almost more interesting mm. than the classic love affair as well. So I think, you know, you want that at heart of a book, you want to root for that couple, you want them to get together. But I think, you know, there are the other sort of side relationships that perhaps, you know, you read them and you go, yeah, no, I've got a friendship like that. Or, you know, I've got someone like that in my life. So that's why they are really important to me. And you sort of mentioned about loving getting stuck into the historical research with this one. So what kind of thing that did that involve? Did you go and visit this kind of area? Well, this is the great thing about setting my books abroad is that I always have to take a trip to go and do some research. So um, I did. I've been out twice to Umbria and the second time I stayed actually in Orvieto. So I've fictionalised it. So it's called Amatino in the book, but it's based on Orvieto. So I had five days there, which was fantastic. And, I, you know, they have these tunnels as in the book. And I did a tour of the tunnels and there's nothing like actually being somewhere to really get under the skin of a place. So I, I did a lot of that. And, and also these days, you know, YouTube is amazing. So there's footage of battles taking place in the war and Mussolini meeting Hitler. And it's all there. You can see it, which is invaluable as a writer because to actually see things as well as read about them really gives an added depth, I think. And I do think that that kind of visual description came across really well in your writing, because one thing that seemed to I just kept when I was reading it I kept thinking oh my goodness this the descriptions of food were so so strong and so present on every single page you'd be reading about I don't know the gathering after a funeral and the pages were laden with all these like gorgeous descriptions obviously the the hub of the plot is is around the restaurant that the characters run together so I wonder whether food was something that almost needed to be that prominent in the novel are you a big foodie did you did, was that a really intentional thing yeah I am quite a foodie and I think also you know in Italy food is prized almost above everything else you know I was chatting to someone I was out there and she said you know my family and I get together for Sunday lunch and most of the conversation is where we will be getting the ingredients for next week's Sunday lunch <laughs> so you know they are you know huge foodies and I think the slight issue I had was that obviously in the war, there were so many shortages and people didn't have very much food. And I think actually out in the countryside, people had more than in the cities because they would have had the fruit and vegetables that they could grow and, and things like that. So I sort of had to find ways that they could get hold of food. But I think also from a writing point of view, meals are a fantastic way to bring your characters 
together and and have a conversation and move things along and you know and and sort of just go again those little interactions between people just a glance across the table or somebody acting up a little bit so for me they're like set pieces when I get all my characters together and, and that's when things kind of you know really move along I suppose it's a great way to show the difference in characters as well the way they behave around food yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's one of the great bonds in the book between Sophia and Giorgio. They're both these amazing cooks. And also, I wanted to have strong female characters in my book. And again, you know, in Italy in the 1940s, life was very different for women. And it was quite, it was certainly under Mussolini in the 20s and 30s, it was to be a housewife and mother and, and that was it. But I sort of felt actually, if you were a very talented cook, which which Eleanor, the, the nonna, the elderly figure, it, was kind of famous for her cookery. And Sophia is, is, is a very talented cook as well. I sort of thought actually that was a, a sort of a job or a talent that would allow them to perhaps have more of an independent life than, than would be normal at that time. So, so it, was, it was very useful in that way as well. I mean, I was going to ask you about the women in the book, actually, because as you say, it, the setting and the context necessitates these like traditional gender roles and I think the two sort of main characters Elena and um, Sophia are very strong women clearly and they're almost uh, resistant to these things but you're right within that kind of vocation it gives them agency within those gender roles I think which is nice. Exactly and I think this is because on the one hand you want to be accurate about the social mores of the time and I wanted to be accurate about the fact that there wasn't much food and in the sequel which I'm just writing now there's even less food because you know life just got harder yeah so I think it's a balance between appreciating how society was at the time but also you know you I am writing for a contemporary audience and there would have been women who wanted to be more independent and so I think it's about treading that line between not making it entirely unrealistic where they're off running the country but also making them engaging and also you know that they have battles to fight that they take the reader along with with them they want Sophia to run the restaurant and they want Eleanor to still be a force in in the town so it's it's a way of engaging the reader as well I think and it's so contrasted still to the you know I think the way that the women in the book take the lead in in these environments in their kind of like domestic space is really different from the way that the you know German occupiers, for example, exert their power as kind of very like masculine energy taking on the town and stuff like that. Well, I think the other thing is that, you know, war, as it did in this country, war did afford women sort of increased independence and, and different roles and whatever, because so many men were away fighting that they did step into all sorts of roles and situations that they would never have done before. So the fact that that happened again, helped me position Sophia in, in perhaps more of a, a forward role than she would otherwise have had. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it gives you someone to root for, which is which is always really nice. So listeners may know you of your travel writing, and you sort of mentioned the ability to go to all the places that you write your books about. I noticed that your previous two have been set in Croatia and Marrakesh. So how do you think your background in travel writing has really influenced your fiction? Is it more than the setting or is it that you just have this compulsion to write things in that way? I think it has been really helpful because I think so. I've been a travel journalist for over 20 years. And when you travel to, to write a piece, you don't you experience it in a very different way. And I often feel it's, it's almost like you're sort of peeking behind the curtain. You know, you go and talk to tourist board people and you 
you know, you I have a hotel tour where I can just, you know, peek around the back of like almost like off stage where you see a different side of hotels and you really get under the surface of a place because you're seeing it from a different perspective. And that was something that I really have wanted to bring in all my books is to really get under the surface of somewhere and to show it in all the sort of positive, amazing side, but also the reality of it as well. So my second book, Marrakesh, which is a city I adore, but is very full on and, and can be quite overwhelming. And, you know, I wanted to show that side as well as it's incredibly exotic and lovely. And so I think that sense of digging down to really understand a place and its culture and the traditions of the people that live in it, that's something that, that I, I guess honed over the years of being a travel writer and then brought that to my books, hopefully. I was going to say, it certainly comes across. So I think those details are really important in setting the scene. One thing to ask then is, is what was the transition like from travel writing to fiction? What made you take that step? Well, it was a very long, very slow transition. So I always wanted to write novels. Like I've always wanted to write books since I was a little girl. Um, and I started in journalism really as a way to, I thought, um, you know, in my 20s to sort of make, make a living while I was trying to get my book published. So it took me the best part of 15 years to you know, of writing. I mean, I finally got an agent, I think, yeah, about early 40s. So it, it was something that I always wanted to do. But it's when you're working full time, it's tremendously hard to find the time to write a book. So, you know, there were several years where I would just not do anything at all. And then I think, you know, you just, it just comes a time where you're like, right, I'm really going to focus on this and try and get an agent. And I always think once you've got an agent, and I have the most fantastic agent, you've got someone on your team and you're no longer, it's no longer just you. Yeah. And you've got someone who's, you know, your cheerleader and will help you navigate into the industry. So yes, it was, it was a long transition. Oh, well but, worth uh, it, I hope. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm phenomenally, phenomenally fortunate to be doing what I always wanted to. It's a brilliant thing to like be able to pursue your passion, I think. So what kind of books do you like to read? Is, is historical fiction your bag or anything and everything else? All things, really. I mean, I, I do like to read books often by sort of foreign authors and, and also books that are set in other places, because I really think you can travel through fiction. And I found that really helpful in the pandemic. I love New York, haven't been able to get to New York for years. And I found a, a book called The Rules of Civility by Amor Towles, which is kind of like a sort of, it's a bit F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's all very sort of glamorous, glamorous New York. And, and it just made me feel like I was there. It was, yeah. you know, it was wonderful. So books that really immerse me in somewhere different. And I, I suppose the other, you know, like a lot of people, I think books were somebody, somewhere to sort of retreat to over the last couple of years as well. And I found myself reading kind of lighter books than perhaps I would otherwise done. Things like Away with the Penguins, which I just loved, which I thought was fantastic. But I'm quite a broad church in my reading, really. Well, that's what we like to hear, because um, I think most of the team at Hampshire Libraries are as well. And actually, that's probably a good um, point to ask you about, you know, the significance of libraries to you. Have they played an important part in, in your life, in your career? Huge. I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in all ways, really. And certainly, you know, when I'm researching my book, I'm very close to the University of Sussex and they have an amazing library and you can go in and you can get a sort of guest reader's pass. And, you know, you can, whatever you want to research, it's there. It's extraordinary. But even just local libraries, I think as, as a writer, 
it's quite an isolated thing to do because it is just you and your laptop. And the fact that libraries are just open, you can go in, you can sort of sit there and write for a couple of hours. They're great for that point of view. But more than anything, I think just that they mean that reading is open and available to anybody. And I think we don't value them nearly as much as we should. I think they're an incredible resource. And my sister actually works in a, a library and it's the hub of her village. And, you know, everybody's coming in to get books, but also there's like a baby and toddler class and there's singing time and all that kind of thing. And so I think they fulfill a role, a real a community role as well, which is tremendously important. I think you're completely right. We we love we love our libraries in Hampshire for certain. I think these these, you know, we need these kind of hubs more than ever now. And I think the fact that you know, you can go in there, you don't have to spend any money is more essential now than than ever, I think. So I think they do a brilliant job. What's next on the horizon for you? You said you're working on the sequel as we speak. I am. Yes, I am. It's all it's all systems go. um, And that will hopefully be out next year. And I sort of slightly worry because the first book, all the the loose ends aren't tied up. Mm. And that's because the sequel, it was already in the works. So I think people will finish it and think, oh, but I want to know what happened with that, you know, this, that and the other and just have to wait till next year to find out what happens. Always leave them hanging. I know I did get to the page, I think, page 360 and I was like, but but there's so much more to, (laughs) we need to find out what happens. So I'm very happy to hear that there's going to be a sequel to it. Thank thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and uh, wishing you all the best with the sequel. I can't wait. Oh, well, it's been lovely to chat. Thank you so much for having me on.